Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Women in the Shadows of Terrorism. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, today we're going to be talking about the ambiguous, ambivalent, many roles of women in the society of terrorism, which interestingly enough have parallels to these ambivalent, ambiguous, and so on roles of women in society. And just as women are becoming more powerful in our society, think of Me Too, think of uh, the struggles for equal pay, think of the feminist movement, and so on, women have become more powerful with terrorists, uh, although it is for different reasons. So let's talk about this. You know, when you think of a terrorist, you don't really think of a woman. It's, uh, you know, a a figure (laughs) clad in the typical garb of um, ISIS. And uh, yes, there are ISIS women, female terrorists, and actually female terrorists in all kinds of terrorist groups. Um, But we don't think of that right away. We don't really see that in the media. We hear of occasional situations, um, such as the San Bernardino attack of 2015, where the Islamist Tashfin Malik, the wife um, of of a terrorist, well, she was an equal participant in that attack. But that's, you know, that's an unusual story in terms of hearing. In fact, when it happened, everybody was like so surprised. Oh, this couple, a woman was involved in this as well. But really, all around the world, there are women involved in various ways with terrorists, both in terms of more powerful or active positions, even combatants, fighters, And certainly we know more about women as sex slaves. So I'm going to talk to you today about both of these things and how these kinds of things happen. And um, and again, really showing you that there is a bigger role for women in terrorism than you might think. Some, uh, neither one of them are good, but um, certainly the sex slave um, is the worst. So let me give you some figures. In 2017, the Global Extremism Monitor found that there were 100 suicide attacks that were perpetrated by 101 female terrorists. 11% of all incidents, in other words, were perpetrated by these women. In 2015, 18% of those arrested on terrorist charges in Europe were women. And then that increased in 2016 to 26%. So there is, you know, that's just um, one picture of one example of our ways of counting, actually two ways of counting, that the role of women in terrorism is um, increasing. Now, the problem is, however, that the U.S., in a number of ways, U.S. policymakers overlook these, the significance of these various roles of women in terrorism, and that has a result of making us less secure. 
Now, women, uh, some of the roles that women are in, and I'm going to talk in more detail about these later, um, are as perpetrators of terrorist attacks, uh, although it is not really natural for women to, and I know, you know, people are, call me sexist, <laughs> um, Feminists don't like me, so, you know, um, but it, as a psychiatrist, I can tell you that it is not as natural for women to be uh, physically aggressive as men. That's, I didn't make this up. That's just the way it is. Um, and uh, there's still, though, women are involved in terms of terrorist organizations as perpetrators, um, you know, sh they are trained to shoot, they're trained to do all kinds of uh, aggressive physical acts use, using guns and so on. But mostly, and because it is easier for women, or women, or more, let me put it this way, more natural for women, um, they are used particularly as suicide bombers. Now, you know, um, not to say that that even is natural, you know, it's less aggressive than firing a gun, certainly. But I don't mean in terms of lethality, but in terms of what the person has to do, you know, you walk into a place with a bomb strapped on you and you detonate it as compared to shooting guns at people who you are looking at and, and, and even being other, being physically, having other kinds of physical altercations as well. Um, women are great suicide bombers because it is easier for women to go unnoticed in a crowd or any other place that terrorists want to detonate a bomb because of this reason that people don't expect a woman to be a suicide bomber. Um, women also are really good at online propaganda and um, to indoctrinate their families and, uh, and so on. And again, I'll talk to you more about the, these different roles. Now, victims, one way that has been increasing in the U.S., uh, for women to become victims is, of course, over the internet. And um, this is such an unfortunate situation because the women, and oftentimes it's teen girls, you may have heard news reports, who are attracted, uh, who get recruited over the internet, are um, girls or women who feel, you know, who get seduced, literally seduced, by the terrorist guys uh, who promise them a wonderful life as a jihadi bride. And these are women who feel that they are not getting much action in the U.S., that men aren't attracted to them, that they're, they're afraid of not being able to find a husband, and so on. And this overrides their reason, you know, their reasonableness. And um, they believe in, you know, they, they are vulnerable to these promises of these uh, terrorists from across the sea. <laughs> also, a lot of these women or girls have come from punitive or harsh families that restrict them from going out on dates and so on. And this, you know, sexy terrorist calling them to another world, promising them what how wonderful life is as a jihadi bride is, is, um, Tempting in that way, too, the lore of adventure. Um, now, terrorists um, also, of course, this is, we, we are more often 
uh, aware of um, terrorists treating women as second-class citizens, and um, they are doing this in, at the same time as they are depending upon them for these more active roles that I'm going to be telling you more about. So like, for example, Boko Haram, the Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, and other terrorist groups use women in numerous ways, including, uh, and, and in terms of treating them as, as second-class citizens, they use sexual violence to terrorize populations when they want to get uh, these populations to be compliant with them or to make them move from strategic areas. And also they use the women, the, the uh, sexual assaults, rape we're talking about essentially, uh, to promote camaraderie and a bond amongst the fighters, the terrorist fighters. And then they also use women as these second-class citizens to make money through trafficking and uh, they use women as labor, and um, very importantly, they use women as baby factories. So it's this dichotomy. On the one hand, the terrorists are counting on women to have very active, very powerful roles as fighters and as suicide bombers, and at the same time, they're treating them as second-class citizens and raping them and selling them and all of that. And, you know, um, it is not unlike, except maybe more extreme, of course, but it is not unlike some of the, the confusion that is going on right now um, in Western societies where women are given, some women are given powerful roles and some women are subjugated um, as maybe not actually sexual, well, actually that's not true. We do have, we certainly have human trafficking, trafficking of women and girls in the U.S. as well, and prostitution and all that. So it's not really, um, there are really similarities, just, uh, just the details are different. So what's interesting is to look at, even though we don't really think of women as terrorists and as fighters, um, there have been instances in history where women have joined and supported violent extremist groups. Um, for example, if you go back over the past several decades, women have been in 60% of armed rebel groups. So some examples of this are in Algeria, such as the National Liberation Front, when there were women fighters in the 1950s and uh, they, who evaded checkpoints to put bombs at strategic urban targets, and so on. Well, I'll continue telling you about this um, when we come... Well, let me tell you a little bit more on this. <laughs> Some other historical examples of women being perpetrators. Uh, Sri Lanka in the 1990s, there were all women battalions, and they, were they had a reputation for fierce discipline and ruthless combat. And then in Colombia... Um, women made up 40% of the revolutionary armed forces, including being leaders of combat units. Well, I'll, I'll take a break now, and when we come back, talk more about women as per perpetrators, and then um, talk to you about the, the kinds of violence that women perpetrate, and so on. We'll be, continue looking at women in the shadows of terrorism. Welcome back uh, to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Before the break, well, to all today, we're talking about women in the shadows of terrorism. 
as promoters of terrorism and as victims of terrorism or victims of terrorists, I should say. And I'm hoping that you're going to see this or, or as I'm talking, think about how, you know, it's similar to uh, the ambivalent and ambiguous ways and roles that women have in society in the U.S. and in Western society, this whole, all the conflicts and, and confusion, um, identity, well, role confusion, uh, the Me Too movement, women are supposed to be mothers and nurturers, but they're also wrestlers. <laughs> you know, it's this, it's this confusion about, about roles, gender roles. I don't, I'm not talking about, um, you know, in terms of sexual, you know, uh, preferences and so on. I'm just talking about the roles of women and men and uh, how that is very confused in our society. And it also is uh, somewhat confused, although although I, I guess terrorists are more clear about whether they are seeing the women as, as um, uh, in, in, you know, two types of roles, either they're combatants, recruiters, fundraisers, etc., perpetrators of terrorist violence, or they are <laughs> sex slaves. It's, it's, it's a little more clear when it comes to terrorists. Anyhow, um, getting back to women as perpetrators of uh, terrorist or extremist groups, women have even helped to found militant groups, such as in Germany, uh, their group Badar Mein Hafgang and the Japanese Red Army. Women also have been in a position where they seem to normalize violence. And um, this is kind of interesting. Um, I certainly didn't know about this. In 1921 to 1931, there was a women's wing of the Ku Klux Klan, and they grew to half a million, and they participated in lynching campaigns that made po targeted political violence more acceptable. Isn't it? It's hard to imagine be, women being that active in the Ku Klux Klan at any time, any decade. Um, but that's what the history books say. Now, what is also interesting is that the violence of women, the, the violence that women perpetrate, has increased in number and in severity. Now, that mirrors what we are seeing in the US in terms of crime. There has been over the past decades, um, particularly increasing more recently, there is, has been an increase in the number of women criminals and the number of women violent criminals. Um, you know, there, that used to be considered more rare. And, and even now, teenage women, teenage girls, um, perpetrating violent crimes. And now, uh, you know, if you want to attribute this to feminist power, girl power, uh, women's lib, you know, there are some, this isn't really a positive uh, result of these things. And, you know, why is that in, in terms of the West? Well, one of the reasons, I know I'm digressing a bit from women and terrorism, but, but, it actually, I'm not really, you know, there actually is the same situation going on there as well, 
when women are sexually or physically abused as little girls, and of course they are in the Middle East as well, um, that um, ca causes in them a very deep rage. And so it is not surprising that they become criminals in the U.S. or that they become perpetrators in terrorist groups in the Middle East. So um, there are now more women-led terror attacks. There are, have been female cells that have been disrupted. For example, 10 women in Morocco who were on their way, uh, they bought chemicals and on their way to building explosives. And then, uh, and you may recognize this story from a previous podcast that I did, a woman, a mother, and her two daughters in London who um, formed a plot to attack Taurus at the British Museum. If you look back into a previous podcast, you will find that I talked about that. In Boko Haram, um, women make up two-thirds of suicide attackers, and women have killed over 1,200 people between 2014 and 2018. In Nigeria, the most deadly attack in 2018 was perpetrated by three female bombers. They killed 20 people in a crowded market. And then here's another story that I talked about on a previous podcast. Uh, in Indonesia, the deadliest attack was perpetrated by two families, which included women and children. So, you know, this, um, this violence and this, um, uh, this, this tendency this, um, to, to commit violence, which is not really a natural, um, something natural for women, has become more prevalent, more intense, and, um, and primarily, the most part, um, the, this from this rage that was instilled in a woman as, as a little girl from how she was treated by the men, her, notably her father, um, as a little girl by sexual attacks and by violent attacks. Um, there is also, in terms of women's suicide attacks, <laughs> women are more lethal uh, than men. When a woman commits a suicide attack, she has an average of 8.4 victims, whereas when a man perpetrates a suicide attack, he only has an average of 5.3 victims. And women are less likely to fail at their suicide attacks. Now, of course, part of that has to do with what I was talking about earlier, that since people do not expect women to be terrorists, uh, the women are able to get into places where they can um, kill a larger number of victims, where there are a larger, where there are larger crowds, um, and they can get in the middle of them, and that is why they have um, a higher kill rate. Now, why, why? <laughs> Why do women um, join terrorist organizations and become violent? Um, I mean, aside from the psychological reason that I just gave you, 
the some women are kidnapped and forced to commit violence, kidnapped by terrorists I'm talking about, and forced to commit violence. And other women voluntarily join terrorist organizations. And for various reasons, such as they have an ideological commitment. In other words, they believe in what this terrorist group uh, stands for. Also, they sometimes join because of having social ties to the terrorist organization. And also, um, some join voluntarily to have access to resources, such as uh, women in Middle Eastern countries where they're not allowed to get an education, some of them join to be able to study the Quran. And uh, other reasons why uh, they voluntarily join is to have a sense of purpose. And um, as I was saying before, raised in a violent home, but particularly you know, treated with violence themselves. And then wanting women who want equality with men, if men can become terrorists, I'm going to become a terrorist. And then also, of course, um, women who are attracted to the men in the terrorist organization and are hoping to find a to become a jihadi bride, to find a jihadi husband. Now, some who voluntarily join, though, are then forced to stay against their will and to continue working, whether it's as a perpetrator or as a sex slave or whatever. You know, and that, of course, is a large group of women who have these ideas, <laughs> um, you know, believe in the ideology and so on. And then they get in uh, or are recruited over the Internet by some cute uh, jihadi. And then they get there, and then they realize that this is not the promised land. <laughs> this, is not, this is not what they were promised. Um, this is not what they expected. And, um, and then, of course, they, are, they, are, uh, they find it very hard to get out once they have gotten in. Well, we're going to continue talking about women in the shadows of terrorism when we come back. Today we're talking about women in the shadows of terrorism and the interesting uh, ambivalent and ambiguous ways that women are held uh, in the minds of terrorists, not unlike the many ambiguous and ambivalent ways that women are held in the minds of Western men and that women are, uh, you know, trying to get for themselves more power and, and all of that. And um, it's a whole struggle, as I was saying, um, in terms of roles for women and men. Now, with terrorists, of course, you don't get to have much choice, uh, although I was just talking about some women who volunteer, but then often these women are find themselves as being forced to do what they thought was going to be fun. Um, so now let me talk about a different role that women have. Besides being perpetrators of attacks, they are also useful as a kind of secretary to terrorists. Um, they are very good, apparently, at recruitment and at operation support and at fundraising and at propaganda dissemination. And part of the reason is um, online, women have what's called higher network connectivity. They're connected to more people, and so they're really good at spreading propaganda. And they have actually brought to the Islamic State 
tens of thousands of foreign fighters. You know, women are generally good communicators, um, like socializing, and so this is like a perfect, you know, this is sort of a more, a more natural role for women to be in. Um, <laughs> Oh, I know, I know. I sound so sexist for women to be secretaries, right? Instead of fighters. <laughs> um, in 2014 to 2015, uh, no, in 2014, there were 15 women in the U.S. who were charged for sending thousands of dollars to Al-Shabaab in Somalia by making small transa transactions and having a coded language. So what I'm talking about is, again, this is about not just, this is about op operation support in, in this kind of uh, example, that, um, that they are supporters of, this is, you know, by getting, by fundraising, by sending money, this is one way that they're able to support the terrorists. Then similarly, a Palestinian woman was, um, uh, the heads, the head of fraudulent charitable organizations, and they send money to to the um, Palestinian Islamist Jihad. These are women who, of course, were were targeted. I'm not targeted, but arrested. Who were discovered? <laughs> these were women who were found out as doing these things. Um, there are probably untold numbers of women who are doing these things who haven't yet been found out. In Indonesia. Um, women often marry foreign Islamic State fire, fighters, and they stay in Indonesia, and they fundraise. In Pakistan, the wives of terrorist group leaders are engaged in bookkeeping and fundraising. And Islamic State women feed and clothe combatants, transport weapons, educate new recruits, and they also are uh, a baby factory. The women who have gone to the, who have been involved in, joined the Islamic State, or been kidnapped for that matter, uh, recruited <laughs> one way or the other, they have, besides their own children, they have given birth to over 700 more children purposely, well, sometimes on voluntarily again, and sometimes by being sexual slaves, but the point was to grow the caliphate. Now, terrorists um, recruit women. This part is, you know, it's it's really interesting how the terrorists, you know, they're um, they're not dumb. I, we we don't give terrorists uh, enough credit for some of them, not all of them, of course. But there are the, some terrorists, the leaders, who are um, figuring things out, like how best to recruit women through social media because they send targeted messages according to the women they are trying to target. So for example, the Islamic State targets Western women by emphasizing in their propaganda, camaraderie, sisterhood, and um, what an adventure it will be to be an Islamic State builder. And 20% of Western recruits altogether to the Islamic State are women. That's a huge, huge number. Um, Boko Haram, you, you, I'm sure you've heard in the news about Boko Haram kidnapping schoolgirls, young girls, and teens, 
and um, they force them into suicide missions. And of course, some of them become um, sex slaves. And um, some of them, though, who have been kidnapped um, and forced either into suicide missions or becoming sex slaves or whatever, some of them who were kidnapped become sympathetic to, um, to their kidnappers, to the Boko Haram kidnappers, and want to stay even when uh, there were attempts made to free these girls, some of the girls wanted to stay. And it's kind of like the Stockholm Syndrome, where when you're kidnapped, um, people who develop what's called Stockholm Syndrome are become um, fall in love with, become attracted to, feel sympathy for, feel sorry for uh, their kidnappers. And they voluntarily want to stay in their situation. Now, this whole ambivalence and ambiguity connected to women in terrorist organizations uh, has made it a little difficult for the um, criminal justice system where, you know, talking about the West, where in particular, I mean, um, where, where our own ambivalence and ambiguity towards women um, make it difficult to understand uh, how to handle women in the criminal justice system who are connected to terrorism. So the justice system, um, and not just in the U.S., but all over the world, so the various justice systems, although they react in different ways, um, they don't understand why women would become violent and want to join terrorist groups. They more often uh, have thought of women as either naive victims or dangerous deviants. And so this all, this question mark uh, about the women uh, makes it very difficult for the justice systems to understand what they should do in terms of repatriating women. And sometimes they give women fewer, uh, they arrest them less often and they give them shorter sentences, but sometimes they have the other reaction and they give them harsher sentences because everybody is confused. <laughs> now, in the US and the UK, although they permitted many male foreign fighters to return and then to stand trial, they, ha they have refused re-entry of women who were involved with Islamic State fighters um, and they revoked their citizenship. I did a podcast on this. You can find this. I talked about um, a woman who wanted to return and is so far not being allowed to. And these women are Shamina Begum and Hoda Muthana in the U.S. and the U.K. Now, children also complicate the situation. Some communities are willing to accept the woman back who had been with a terrorist but not willing to accept the child of a terrorist. And then also what's complicated is that children who are born in these war zones have a questionable citizenship. Now, any rehab programs, and there are very few, um, and very few particularly that make any difference or work that are, that are successful, um, they are very uh, confused when it comes to women in particular. I mean, not that it works so well with men either. That is a big problem. 
these um, de-radicalization programs have a lot to learn. Um, But it's also difficult, particularly difficult for women. Now, terrorists, um, you, as I said, the terrorists use women to, you know, I guess the, the, the sort of the, con- the conclusion of this is to think about the disparity, the total um, extremes of, of how terrorists um, use women. And that is um, on the battlefield, and as sex slaves, in other words, as active participants, very, as fighters, um, very violent fighters at that, or very violent, well, suicide bombers who perpetrate <laughs> very violent lethal attacks, or the total other extreme because of their tendency in their, in their societies anyway to treat women as second-class citizens, then the other extreme, treating them as sex slaves, trafficking in them, making money with them, uh, basically you know, running prostitution rings. And, um, and, and these two extremes, um, when, you, when you think about them, um, think about our own, well, by our own, I mean, I know people in all different countries listen to this podcast, but think about Western civilization and the ambivalence and ambiguity of women in society there as well. So um, it's very, it's very unfortunately confusing <laughs> and it is very unfortunately um, um, lethal when women join terrorist organizations and, um, you know, I don't really know which, which is sadder, um, the women who, who are so um, psychologically destroyed by their own families that they think that it's a good idea to become violent jihadists or women who are kidnapped and subjugated to become sex slaves. I mean, they both are very sad and unfortunate, and um, it would be really important if society did something about it. So thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.